Second Samuel chapter 21. Chapter 21, 22, 23, 24. The last four chapters of Shmuel. And they are a kind of coda. An ending to the book. When I say they're a kind of coda or ending to the book, what I mean by that is that you, if we look at the last four chapters, we can discern a structure of chapter 21, 22, 23, and 24. Chapter 21, the first part of chapter 21, is the story of the sin of a king. The particular sin that's cited here is that Shaul, the first king of Israel, violated an oath. The violation of an oath is a serious crime, and there's a punishment, and that's the subject of the bulk of chapter 21. The end of chapter 21 tells us a story about stories about four different great warriors of David's court who fought against the Philistines, who fought against actually the giants, B'nai Harapha. The giants and the Philistines are connected in the book of Shmuel. That's the second. Let's call that B. So this A is the sin of the king. B is the war, story of the warriors. Then we come to chapter 22, and that's a song. David addressed the words of this song to God. That's all of chapter 22, and that same chapter 22 also appears in Psalms, Psalm number 18. Then the beginning of chapter 23, there's another song. These are the last words of David, and that runs from verse number 1 through verse number 7. A very difficult song. So we have A, and then B, and then C is the song. Then we have another song, call it C prime. And that's followed by the bulk of chapter 23, and these are the names of David's warriors, the Giborim. That's all the way from verse number 8, all the way down to verse 39, the list of David's warriors. So that's B prime. And the last chapter of the book, by Yosef Afashem Lacharot Israel, God's anger, and that's the story of the sin of taking the census. That's the subject of chapter 24. David takes a census of the people, which is accounted by David himself and by God as a grievous sin. And there's a process of atonement that has to take place. And that's how the book of Shmuel ends. So we have essentially a structure of A, B, C, C, B, A, what's known as a chiastic structure. Now the question is, what do we make of this chiastic structure? So what we can make of it, and many of those that have written in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years about Shmuel, academics and other, make the point that we have here an integrated piece, that one can study these four chapters together as one piece. And that is correct. And then they make, many of them, a second point, that the fact that it's looked at as an integrated piece means it can be studied separate from the book of Shmuel. It happens to be found at the end of the book as a kind of coda, or perhaps they think as, a, as an appendix, but it's not actually related to the core issues of the book of Shmuel. And that approach, in my view, is extremely incorrect, as we will see. So let's begin with chapter 21. Chapter 21, the sin of the king, 
And the particular sin that's described in chapter 21 is the sin of King Shaul, the first king of Israel. Chapter 21 begins, Vahirav bimei David, shalosh shanim, shana achar shana. Vayivakesh David et penei Hashem. There was a famine during the reign of David, year after year, for three years. David inquired of God. Vayomer Hashem. And God responded to David. El Shaul v'yobet ha'damim, achasher himit et ha'givonim. It is on account of Saul, and his bloody house, in that he killed the Givonim. He put the Givonim to death. Now the Givonim, the second verse describes the Givonim. We have already encountered the Givonim in our study of the Bible. There's a whole story about the Givonim in the book of Yoshua. So here we're told, The king summons the Givonim. And King David informs them. He tells them what God has said. There's a famine on account of the fact that Saul mistreated the Givonim. He killed them. The Givonim were not, from, were not Israelites. But rather a remnant of the, of the Amorites, the Amori. And the Israelites had sworn to them, sworn not to harm them. But Saul had sought to kill them. Out of his zealousness for the people of Israel and Judah. So, the story of the Givonim, of course, we remember from the book of Yoshua. The Givonim disguised themselves. They pretended to come from a faraway land. This was in the context of the wars of Joshua and Israel against the peoples of Canaan. And the peoples of Canaan were being killed. And the Givonim come, disguised, and pretend to come from a faraway land, and they ask the Israelites to make a treaty with them. Their thinking is that if they are known to be residents of the land of Canaan, and in fact Canaanites, they will all be killed. Whether that's true or not in the book of Yoshua is a very good question. But that's what they think. And the Israelites make a treaty with them. And they swear to them that they're not going to harm them. They take an oath. Shortly afterwards, they discover that they've been tricked. That the Givonim don't come from a faraway land, but essentially are their next-door neighbors. What should they do? Some of them wanted to attack the Givonim. And it was an oath taken under false pretenses. But the thinking of Yoshua was that we can't do that. We took an oath. We said something in God's name. We have to keep our word. And the Israelites do not attack the Givonim. And quite the opposite takes place in the book of Yoshua. It's actually a very important story in Sefer Yoshua. And that is that Givonim, when they make a treaty with the Israelites, are then attacked by the Canaanites. Many Canaanite nations attack the Givonim. And the Givonim send a message to Yoshua, since we have a treaty... Since we have a deal, you should come and save us. And in fact, Yoshua does that. He actually fights in defense of the Givonim, and that brings about a great victory. So that's the story of the Givonim in the book of Yoshua, and it turns out that we discover in chapter 21 something we did not know before, namely that King Saul 
had killed many of the Givonim. They were not Israelites, but rather they were Amorites. It's interesting, actually, that in the book of Yoshua, the Givonim are not described as Emori. They're described as Chivi. They're Chivites. But in the story, in the description here, they're Emori. And Emori is a term that's used in the Torah when God promises Abraham that his descendants will possess the land. God refers in chapter 15 in Genesis to the collective peoples dwelling in the land of Canaan in that particular promise, promise of the pieces, chapter 15 of Genesis, he refers generically to the peoples of Canaan as the Amori. So this is the crime of the king, and when you violate an oath, what you've done is desecrated God's name. One might say that this is a very serious crime in general, but in particular in the book of Shmuel, which is all about kingship. And one of the core issues that Shmuel, the prophet, raised, and the book raises in many different ways, what is the relationship of the king to God? The king could, in theory, supplant God. The king is the king of all the people. The king has a kind of, in theory, eternal kingship. So the king can be seen as God's, uh, God's enemy or God's, uh, God's equal in some sort, and that's the danger. So that's what Saul is up to. The end of the book revisits now the question of the king and the king's relationship to God. That I think is fairly clear. What is not clear, and an understanding of the chapter, must begin with a very simple question, which is this. If Saul, in fact, and we have no reason to doubt this, if Saul, in fact, violated the oath by killing the Givonim, yes, he did it out of zealousness for Israel and for Judah, which is a positive statement. Yes, they're Amorites, it's true. Yes, we recall the fact they deceived and disguised. That's all true. But in fact, Israel took an oath in God's name. We got that. What we don't understand, though, is that if Saul sinned, why is the famine taking place during David's reign? for three consecutive years. Would not have been much more logical if Saul had sinned to have the famine take place in Saul's reign. Now that is a very important question for the chapter and it leads us, I think, in a very interesting direction. And the direction it leads us in, and I'll mention it here, I don't know if we'll have time to revisit this, but the question one can ask about chapter 21 about the sin of Saul, of King Saul, is the chapter really about King Saul? Or is the chapter actually about King David? And I say this because the rest of the coda, A, B, C, C prime, B prime, A prime, all the other pieces of it are about David. Nothing to do with Saul. One could have, of course, say that, yes, but it begins with the one sin of one king and ends with the sin of another king. That is true. But on the other hand, it's all about David, and furthermore, there's another interesting feature of chapter 21. I raise questions today without answering the questions, but I want to make a simple point. David, King David, asked the Givonim, what should I do? And they demand that members of Saul's family be killed. And David goes along with it. David does this. 
David chooses seven of Saul's family, and David hands them over to the Gibonim, who impale these people. What is interesting is, apart from the response of someone in the chapter regarding this killing of these people, which is interesting in its own right, what is extremely curious in chapter 21 is that one expects, after David is handed over to the Givonim, the seven people, Shiva. Shiva, in, re- in return for the Shvua, seven and Shvua are related terms in the Bible, one would expect the famine to stop, but it doesn't. Even after David hands over the relatives of Saul, Saul's house, doesn't matter. It's not stopping yet. It doesn't stop until David actually buries Saul and Jonathan. That's a very interesting feature of chapter 21 that has to be addressed.